You are listening to ReachMD, the channel for medical professionals. This segment is made possible by an educational grant from Shire Pharmaceuticals. Welcome to Updates from the Mayo Clinic, focusing on primary care pediatrics and child mental health. Here's your host, Dr. Peter S. Jensen, a childhood and adolescent psychiatrist and professor of psychiatry at Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota. Welcome to this Mayo Clinic series on primary care child mental health, also covering today a very special topic, including adults. Uh, This is Dr. Peter Jensen, your host, and I'm very pleased to have with me today a colleague and friend, Dr. David Katzelneck, Associate Professor of Psychiatry here at Mayo Clinic, an expert on the whole topic of integration of mental health into primary care, David is the chair of the Division of Integrated Behavioral Health here at Mayo Clinic and is truly plowing new ground with his activities. David, welcome. Well, thank you. And uh, Peter, it was great to be here today. Looking forward to a discussion. Well, David, you know, this whole topic, primary care mental health and primary care mental health integration, what does that really mean? Well, it's an attempt to bring uh, evidence-based mental health treatments to uh, patients who are in primary care settings. Um, Research now is showing that uh, almost three-fourths of people who have mental illness get treated in primary care settings, and for lots of reasons, including unfortunately still stigma, that patients often are hesitant to go to mental health specialty settings. And so the idea is to um, bring the mental health expertise uh, into the primary care setting with so that uh, more and more uh, patients who have mental illness will be able to have access to good treatments. So what does that really mean? Does that mean that the mental health specialist now kind of locates in the primary care setting? Does that have any implications for what the primary care physician does? Does it change their job at all? Sure. There's a a number of different models. There's not just a single model of how the integration works. It can be anywhere from um, having a mental health specialist who you can call on the phone any time when you have a specific question to having a whole team of mental health specialists physically in your clinic um, integrated in terms of care and with uh, care coordination and coordinating with other chronic illnesses and multiple different models uh, in between those two extremes. And so does that mean that at one extreme that it may actually have little implications for what the primary care provider does? They just send someone down the hall? Or does it, even in those models with full integration and co-location, do the primary care providers end up picking up more responsibilities? I think that in all of the models, the goal is to share the responsibilities together. And uh, in most of the models, the primary care providers actually feel that with having the additional support, they may be able to take care of more complex patients. But with the knowledge that there um, are people who can help in terms of original differential diagnosis and uh, specific recommendations, and if the patient is having trouble, specific criteria so that, say, you have a patient with bipolar disorder, they might have advice if the person says that they are unable to work or are not sleeping well, that they immediately go back to the mental health specialist. You can think of it as creating a safety net 
under the primary care practice um, in the same way that they would have if they had other specialists such as a cardiologist or endocrinologist in their practice with them, the same kind of model. Well, you know, as you think about um, this from the perspective of, say, a healthcare system, and now, of course, we're hearing a lot about uh, accountable care organizations and the primary care medical home, you've mentioned that this has advantages because someone may have stigma and may not want to, say, go get the, some of the care they need. Does this have other advantages apart from just you get seen more quickly by a mental health specialist? Yeah, there's there's a number of, when it's done correctly, there's a number of advantages. Um, when we've uh, set up these models here, um, the primary care providers, the nursing team, the people at the front desk have all found that it's much, much easier to be able to get their patients to the correct person, um, getting, figuring out how and who to refer people to between primary care and mental health has been a huge problem. And so having help with those um, referrals and ability to have communication back and forth um, is really essential. Uh, many patients, when they won't go to a mental health specialist, you end up with a primary care provider's it certainly happens here, having very complicated patients um, that they're actively taking care of because they really have no alternative because they're, they're patients. There's certainly a number of other advantages. Um, there's cost advantages, um, the number of studies showing uh, cost benefits for doing this kind of integrated care because so many people in primary care have comorbid medical and psychiatric uh, problems at the same time. And finally, um, within primary care, most practices usually don't have capacity to provide uh, evidence-based psychotherapy so that it becomes much easier to write a prescription than to get psychotherapy, even though many, many patients might prefer having psychotherapy, especially if it's um, in the same place as their primary care provider. It sounds pretty remarkable. I mean, you're saying that it, it, it improves access. Um, it may lower costs, you said, if it's done right. And then uh, it sounds like uh, the number of patients uh, that might actually get mental health treatment, appropriate mental health treatment, has that been shown to increase as well? Oh, yes. There's a, a program going on in the United Kingdom now where they are placing uh, mental health specialists with capacity to do psychotherapy in all of the primary care practices throughout all the United Kingdom. I believe they've trained over 4,000 people now with a step care approach uh, because of the recognition that um, the benefit of psychotherapy is so great and um, the access problems are really difficult. And what do they call it, stepped care? What is that? What are the steps in stepped care? The concept of stepped care um, is very similar to um, the overall practice in medicine that people would say a patient comes in who has um, major depression, that the first step would be being treated in primary care, uh, say, with medication. Um, and then the important part is tracking outcomes. And if the person isn't getting better in some period of time, say eight weeks, that they would then get the next level of intensity 
which it might involve, say, a care coordinator becoming involved or a consultation with a mental health specialist, and then increasing um, levels of intensity all the way to uh, inpatient psychiatric hospitalization. The, the goal is to have uh, triage happen early on so that if you have a patient, say, who's acutely suicidal or psychotic or manic, then they would jump directly to a higher level. But the main thing is to do it in a way that's cost-effective, but to make sure that people get access to um, complex, effective interventions. That's very interesting. So in many ways, the stepped approach allows you to get what someone needs early on at not an excessive level. So a bunch of people who don't need it aren't hospitalized, or nor do you let someone kind of suffer until they need hospitalization. It sounds like, is that where the cost savings come from? Yeah, the cost savings, there's a, a number of uh, places where the cost savings are. One is to have people be treated at the level of intensity which is appropriate. Many patients end up getting multiple medical procedures um, that they may not necessarily need and tests when they have mental illness. And so by identifying it early and treating it aggressively, we can avoid those costs, especially for patients that are very somatic. Where the biggest savings can be is uh, catching people, getting them better before they need to go to the emergency room, and especially costly before they need to go to the hospital. The other place where there's savings is that, I think as everybody has a sense, that uh, mental illness causes work impairment in terms of missing days and being less productive and potentially even um, unemployment. And the, there are huge savings for multiple different mental illnesses for getting people better soon so that their employers don't bear the burden and their family, obviously, of of uh, the mental illness that affects their functioning. This is Dr. Peter Jensen, your host on this Primary Care Mental Health Series update from Mayo Clinic. We're talking with David Katzelneck, Associate Professor of Psychiatry and uh, Chair of the Division of Integrated Behavioral Health, an expert on this really very timely topic. The whole issue of healthcare reform, accountable care organizations, how will that impact on this issue of integration of these kinds of services into primary care? That's a great question. I, I think that um, I don't know. I don't know that anybody knows for sure what the answer is, and uh, the whole transition is in rapid flux right now. I think that uh, there's a strong sense that by 2014, which is just a year from now, um, the healthcare system in the U.S. will be dramatically changed. I think the most immediate impact is the uh, effect on um, the feasibility of having care coordination uh, in a primary care practice where you have uh, nurses or social workers proactively following patients over time, which has been shown to have a huge benefit for multiple chronic illnesses, including uh, mental illnesses. The problem right now is that in most insurance plans, there's not good reimbursement to pay for care coordination, which limits the dissemination of that model. In an accountable care organization where there's a total cost of care model and not a fee-for-service model, 
then the whole equation changes so that having care coordination and working together as teams and things that avoid procedures and avoid visits becomes a plus rather than a minus. So the optimistic hope is that the accountable care organizations will lead to more of a preventive care and longitudinal care rather than current focus, which is on more acute treatments. You know, and it's interesting. I would think from the perspective of the primary care provider, it must be very frustrating to have patients that you feel like you can't help. You often end up giving them maybe the wrong thing because that's the only thing you have, maybe another medical test or or something else, and then they can't make those additional steps for whatever reasons, maybe to get to a specialist across town. I know you've been involved with a very much talked about project called the Diamond Project, where uh, you've actually been testing out some of these models. Can you tell us about Diamond and what you've been showing through Diamond? Sure. Um, yeah, Diamond is a program which is available um, in many clinics, I think 80 clinics, primary care clinics across Minnesota that has been sponsored by a group called ICSI, the Institute for Clinical Systems Improvement. A very exciting program. If people are interested, if you just Google uh, Diamond and Depression, you'll get um, their home site that has all kinds of great information. But the concept of this was that employer groups were concerned that their employees had depression and that the healthcare system wasn't aggressively identifying and treating their employees, which was having a huge effect on their bottom line. I think there were altruistic motives and financial motives both for this. And so they brought together specialists from around the country and came up with a, a best-of-practice model of what is the best way for treating depression. And the employers said, if a clinic is trained to do this diamond model, we will pay additional per member per month for those clinics because we know it will provide better depression care. And with this model, uh, in the state of Minnesota, they um, every quarter put out a list of called Minnesota Community Measures, the sites that have the best depression response and remission rates and the diamond sites almost always have the best outcomes, dramatically better outcomes than um, other practices in the state. Wow, that's amazing. You know, it makes me think of, I, I don't know if it would be correct or not, but maybe 40 years ago, maybe primary care providers thought, well, you know, we don't treat asthma. That's for the specialists. And now great asthma care can be delivered in primary care. It sounds like you're moving us in a direction where great mental health care can be done in primary care as well. Thank you, Dr. David Katzenleck. This is Dr. Peter Jensen, your host on Primary Care Mental Health, uh, update from Mayo Clinic. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to updates from the Mayo Clinic. And thank you to Shire Pharmaceuticals, whose educational grant makes this program possible. For more details on the interviews and conversations in this week's show and many others, or to download this segment, go to reachmd.com forward slash Mayo Clinic.